right. I love that. Hey, ma'am. Right. <laughs> Our grandson, I was told, I didn't get to attend, but Kim was able to go with little Walter to where they attend church at the little Calvary and Filer. And uh, when they got done with the song, little Walter in the background goes, Again! Again, you know, it's like he just like it was cool. He was like, you know, he, he you know, was very vocal, and yeah. So anyway, hey, like I said, Luke two, beginning in verse one. If you would direct your attention there, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, her the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, well, let's take a look. I'd love to be able to just take this simple practice. It's the way you read your Bible. Uh, you read it through, and then you maybe go back and, and, and look at it and see it in more detail and consider what it says. And so let's do that after reading it through. We'll go back to verses 1 and 2. It came to pass in those days. What days? What days is referred to? Because that's what you're doing right now, is you're going to catch the context. See, we didn't read Luke 1. So what, what do we have when we start here in chapter 2? Well, we, we have some background there in the first chapter, but I'll just tell you some things that we know from Luke and Matthew, the other the gospel accounts. These are the days when John the Baptist was born. And you can research this on your own. You can consider it homework to go back and read, you know, chapter 1 of Luke and, and read in Matthew kind of the things that were unfolding. But this is the days when John the Baptist was born. These are the days when God sent the angel Gabriel to the city of Nazareth to speak to Mary and Joseph about the birth of Jesus. If you've read the Bible at all, you know much about the Christmas story. You know, this is not just another infant being born 2,000 years ago. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to inform Mary that she would be the one that would bring forth the Messiah. She would be that, that, that young maiden, this teenager, that would bring forth the Messiah to Israel and to humanity. These are the days when... Joseph was told that Mary was pregnant and the child in her room was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's really important that they both got the memo, agreed? Mary was told, and then Joseph was told, hey, you know, don't, don't be thinking of ways to kind of put her away privately or quietly because he was concerned for her because she's pregnant out of wedlock and, and, and not of, from Joseph. So Joseph is told, hey, hey, this is the days when, when God appeared to him. Because guess what's happening? Miraculous, literally miraculous things are happening. These are things, this, this, this miraculous conception, this, this whole story we know of, of the birth of Christ, 
were things that were declared in prophecy through the Word of God in the Old Testament hundreds of years before in phenomenal detail. And now they're living in those days when it's all coming to, to, to hand. It's, it's being brought forth to the people. It was also the days when Caesar Augustus required citizens to be registered so they could be taxed. We know it was also the days when Mr. Q was governing Syria. Why does that matter? It's really beautiful that God lets you and I see the reality of history. And he even lets us see there's some what we call secular or, you know, temporal references. These were the people that were governing in the the natural realm, so to speak, at that time. So it helps you see it's not a fable or a myth or a story handed down from centuries. There's a reference point in history. For the skeptic or the one who's unsure, you can go back. God gives you enough to know. You can go back and you can dig in. It's the supernatural in the natural. We have here... God among men. Literally, we're told his name would be Emmanuel, which the Bible tells you and me, that means God with us. I've been chewing on this for over three decades, this truth, that God is always inviting and involving men in his eternal work. Isn't that mind-boggling? I mean, you just think about it. Some of the stuff we maybe are so familiar with it, we, we don't stop and ponder it as we should. God invites and involves fallen man in his eternal work. He'll accomplish his purposes, and we get to be a part of it. I just find that fascinating. Eternal truth revealed to and intertwined within the lives of men. And sometimes we don't even have a clue. Can we agree? We, we don't even see the big picture. But understand, his word is given to man and fulfilled in and among us. His word is fulfilled in the lives of Mary and Joseph and many others, and it continues. And not only did it happen in that time, it was taken place long before. If you read your Bible, you're going to notice there's some names in it, right? Some sections, a whole list of names. Well, why is that, why is that important? He could have just presented to you and me the principles of eternity and said, deal with it. But he didn't. He revealed these truths. Are in, they're intertwined and they're integrated and they're a part of human lives. And we get to see how people respond to that and how they receive that and how they deal with that. I think it's very fascinating that his word is given to man and then fulfilled among us. See, this world, we can agree, is temporal, Right? which speaks of it's passing away. But his word never passes away. The Bible gives you and I an illustration, a reference, that as the grass withers and the flower fades, that helps us understand the temporal, you know, those things pass away and fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. The word of God stands forever. Let me just say it this way from our text. Augustus, passed away. Jesus is alive. Augustus passed away. Jesus is alive. It it is so so important to realize that the temporal, where we physically exist, even though we're spiritual beings, the temporal is the loudest, but it ends quickly. I, I think of it like yelling. 
you know, if you've ever been a, like a fan of a particular sport, I, I think of like football, and you go to the stadium and you yell because your team is doing well or because they're doing horrible. It depends. You could be yelling either way. But you can only yell so long, correct? You can only yell so long and then your voice is gone. You can talk a lot longer than you can yell. The, the temporal realm, it, it's like it's yelling. History proves that every empire, every world leader in every generation, they're a big shot for a moment, and then they're forgotten. But God, for over 2,000 years, people have celebrated the gospel of God. We call it the gospel. The gospel means good news. The good news of God. The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news, the Jewish Messiah named Jesus was born in Israel 2,000 years ago. We celebrate that. Born in the land, promised land that God gave Israel. Don't buy some of the terminology that's bannered about today. Israel is not occupiers. They are co-owners. Big difference. Israel is a part of God inviting and involving men in his eternal work. It just it's it should stir within us a great consideration, a, a point to ponder. Like, man, it's great to read history, but these principles are preserved for you and me to put into practice and to realize God is doing a work. And there's amazing things happening. So we see there in verse one and two a historical uh, reference for us and a reminder. That the supernatural, God is with us. God is among us. God is doing a work even in these days. Let's keep on moving along. Let's get to verse 3. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own suggestion, or own uh, area, his own city. This was not a suggestion. It was a requirement. It's fascinating when you dig in and, and look a little bit on, in history, because have you noticed some, some of these things that like teachers have said and Wise sages in your life have said, like, history repeats itself. Have you ever heard that? Like, yeah, whatever. But then when you slow down and look and think, yeah, it kind of does. For approximately 450 years, Rome was a republic. Citizens had a voice and a vote and rights. And then around 30 BC, and I won't get into all the history, it doesn't matter in the sense of just this point, but a man by the name of, who became to be known as Caesar Augustus, changed this republic. It took some time, but he took the government from a republic to a functional dictatorship when he was declared to be emperor. And, and let me just speak this principle that repeats itself throughout history, not just in the Roman Empire. Generally speaking, give political leaders enough time in government, and they will lose touch with the people they claim to represent, and they will be consumed by power and wealth. History proves it. You are living it. It's just That's just what happens. So it's fascinating as you look at uh, uh, just history and, and these rise and fall of so many, just realize, you know, this situation that they're in, Mary and Joseph, it was a requirement of a secular a world government. But God is actually using it to accomplish his purposes. We're told in verse 4 they have to go to Bethlehem. It was approximately 80 miles. 
They probably traveled by foot. Don't throw things at me, but there was probably no donkey there. She probably didn't get to ride the donkey. They were not wealthy people. It's possible. So, you know, cling to it if you need to. But in reality, they have to go this 80 miles. Why Bethlehem? Well, to fulfill prophecy and promise? According to the text, it was according to Roman organization and order. See, it was logical. You know, the Roman Empire was fascinating in history of how it brought together this network of transportation and this ability for integration and and communication in its time. It was phenomenal. And what's interesting is this administrative, organizational thing that was such a plus, but yet they thought, the political rulers of that day, they were calling the shots. But we see the supernatural and the natural. Because God said prophetically that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, And something that seems to be overbearing and burdensome is actually going to be, if you would, used to accomplish God's purposes. The supernatural in the natural. Augustus thought he was in control, yet God was actually in control. A good example, I think, that can illustrate this is when you and I are are driving and say, you know, I love to be up in the hills. I was able to get up at Pine yesterday and um, just... By the way, they're about three feet short of normal of snow. It's unbelievable up there. There's just like, he's cruising around. But anyway, sidebar, no charge. Um, when you get up there, you can see, like there's some points you can see a long distance. But generally speaking, when you're on the road, you only see a little bit in front of you, correct? In, in regards to, say, you're traveling 200 miles, you may see up to four or five, maybe 10. You don't see much. But what if you could view from above? What if you could see the route from a, from a higher position, if you would? I think it's important to understand that's kind of how the, nat- the supernatural and the natural is. God is directing, but you and I, we just see the bills that are due in two weeks. We just see what's in front of us on the road, and we can't figure out why other people aren't as good a driver as we are. You know, we just kind of see things in a very, very temporal view. But man, when we realize... This life we're living, God has eternity in view. And that's my encouragement to you as well. Keep eternity in view. Don't get drawn into the drama and some of the things that are so overwhelming. Now, verse 5 says that Joseph went with Mary to be registered. Why did Mary have to go? I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I found this thing in the old Roman law that said the spouse had to go with but she was, she was betrothed. She, it wasn't the ceremony hadn't taken place. The procedure, the, the the process of the culture. Yes, it was a commitment to break a betrothal period would require a divorce decree. But I just wondered why did she have to go? Well, think about this: Who could Joseph have possibly left her with? You know the word on the street, right? Mary's pregnant, and they're not even married yet. You know, because we know later, 30 years later, the, the, the adversaries to Jesus, the religious establishment said this, at least we were not born of fornication. 
You know, early on, even with Joseph and Mary, there was gossip. There was things being said. There was, there was criticism. And I just kind of leaned towards, you know, who's he going to leave her with? It may have been required by the Romans, but it was God who was working it out. Because, see, it wasn't so much what's the easiest for Mary and Joseph. God is accomplishing things that are beyond what we can even grasp. Some would say it's unfair, this journey that Mary and Joseph are on. Some today would say it's inhumane, intolerant, abusive for Mary to be forced into such a journey. If you're a note taker, please note this. Never let your feeling or opinions interfere with the known word of God. Never let your feeling or your opinions interfere with the known word of God. When God says something and it's clearly known, <laughs> okay, you're sitting down. I'll try not to be too harsh. Your feelings don't matter. It doesn't matter how you feel. I'm not being rude or insensitive. I'm just saying it helps you to kind of go, okay, my, I don't feel that's works. I don't, okay, but it's a fact. It's an instruction. It's a directive. It's from the word of God, and he sees eternity in view. And so some of the things that you will go through and you will deal with, they just don't feel good. But, you know, to follow God in this world you live in isn't going to be comfortable. You know, right now, you and I, we're dealing with challenges. But there's people that aren't here that are dealing with bigger challenges. There's people that didn't come to this service because hope is diminished. There's people that are not here because they're hurting because life has been really hard for them in ways they can't even communicate with you. There's people right here. Don't raise your hand. People right here. That you, you have things on your heart that you can't, you don't feel any, you don't know any way you can talk to even a fellow Christian about. Because you're working things out. Life can be very hard. And it's so important that we remember the word of God is for your comfort. But it's not always comfortable. It's so important to keep, keep that in mind because if we elevate and properly place the word of God in our point of reasoning that he is always right, even when it's uncomfortable, he is always right. It helps us navigate these very narrow and difficult pathways called life. I would say right here as well, as we see what's happening and consider this travel there in verse 5, it would, be, would have been really easy to be fearful, right? When you're packing whatever bags you need, whatever you're going to, you know, they didn't have like, you know, gas station on the way, no Maverick partway down the road, whatever. So you literally are thinking through differently and you're getting things ready. And you know, if you've ever prepared for a trip, you're thinking about it. And then what if this? And then what if that? And all of a sudden certain things creep in and, and fear comes upon you. Give no room for fear for it will take over your heart. Give no room for fear. It, wisdom is important. It's important to think through, but yet give no room for fear. They knew they were going to go, and they're working out. We know this because we're no, we know where to do this, and so they worked out how to go about it, to be you know, pondering and wondering. Let's move on to verse 6. So it was while they were there, the days were complete, completed for her to be delivered. I just love this part. We always call it the child was delivered. And that makes sense, right? Basically, not to be too 
street level, but the birthing process is a result of someone eating themselves out of house and home. You get evicted because you outgrew the place. So you got to move. It's going to happen. Well, the child's delivered, but notice here it says the mother is delivered as well. Mary was delivered. And if you reference over to um, uh, Matt or Luke uh, 157, when we read about the birth of John the Baptist, his mom's name's Elizabeth, Elizabeth was delivered. It's interesting the Bible references it that way. I've thought about it a little bit, and it makes sense to me. Childbearing is difficult. Haven't done it. I've been there when it happened six times. Um, once in a hospital. Okay, you have to confirm this with Kim. Once a couple, once in a birthing center. I don't know, leftover, we're at home. I don't know. We, 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 we kind of like, we've had some experiences. But I haven't done it. No man ever has, nor ever will. So it's a, it's a mathematical reality of the billions pushing trillions of people born on the earth. They've all been born from women. So don't get your hopes in science or any other silliness. It's always a woman who delivers. But the woman was also delivered, Mary, from the travail, the trial of childbearing. You can go back into Genesis for homework and see there the result of the fall when mankind, uh, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, some of the consequences and the results of all that. And you'll see how it all ties together. Mary was delivered, the baby was born, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary's son, Jesus. We are told that Jesus is the Savior of the world. You'll see that in verse 11. In verse 11 of this same chapter, we're told, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The infant child in the womb of Mary is the Savior of the world. You know, this is beyond the idea or the imagination of any man that God would come as a man to save us from our sins. That God would come as a... No one would script this. No one in power and authority and a position would put themselves into such a state that they would be at the hands of the very sinners there to save. No one would do that. Because God's ways are so different. See, the truth is, God chose. He knew. He offered what we could never imagine. That he would come as a man to save us from our sins. See, We're aware of sin. We're aware of right and wrong. Religion, the efforts of men, teaches us to reach up to God, to do good things to people, to be nice, to share with others, to be thoughtful, helpful, pleasant. And and those are great actions and worthy of doing. But they will not bring you into a proper relationship with God. Those things will not bring you into a proper relationship with God. The problem is sin. Sin has separated everyone from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
So this, this sin issue has to be resolved. But how do you pay the penalty? What's the debt due for an individual sin? Well, the debt, the penalty for sin is death. It seems a bit extreme, but sin will not be allowed in heaven. You can't have the, the consequences of sin and, and, the, and all the things related to sin just overlooked and then brought into heaven. It wouldn't be heaven. And that's a, a very you know, clear abbreviation of the whole uh, timeline, of course. But you understand, the penalty for sin is death. So no manner of self-effort or self-denial can erase the penalty of sin. Jesus is the solution for the sin problem. Your sin problem, my sin problem, every human being's sin problem. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to bring this to a close because we're going to close our, we're going to have some more time. We have a couple more worship songs together. But I want to present to you three principles that can be put into practice today. Three principles that can be put into practice today. Drawn just from here, and what you maybe even already know of the Christmas story, but know the word of God so you may see the work of God. We're, we're referencing you know, things that happened historically, but embedded in this truth, this history of the time of Jesus' birth, is, is fulfillment of prophecy. So you have that point, but you also have over here historically brought in these prophecies in, of the Old Testament and things for us to know about the Word of God, from the Word of God. And when we know the Word of God, our eyes are actually more open. We're willing to look and ponder and wonder and maybe confirm, is this the work of God? Learning how to see the work of God. Mary and Joseph surely didn't say, you know what? As hard as this dusty hill is out of Jericho, as long as, as hot and difficult as this is, man, God must have this for us. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the conversation. It's like, Joseph, wait, I can't keep up. Joseph, did you bring water? You just think about the normal conversation. It's hard to see the work of God. But when you know the word, because see, they were given the word of God. And I believe it allowed them to see. Also, the, the second point would be, Keep eternity in view, even when the journey is difficult. I think it's just as, well, it's hard when things are going well to keep eternity in view. It's easy to cash the check and build the account and work towards the dream and prepare for the retirement and all the stuff and get distracted. But we also know it's in the most difficult days, it's hard to keep eternity in view. But I, I would say the vast majority, maybe... I could speak in totality. When we go through difficulty, it confirms the hand of God more. Those hardest times we've went through are when we lean the closest to God. Agreed? It's when you have nothing else that your faith is the strongest. Seriously. It's kind of odd because it doesn't seem like faith at that point. I got five choices. Well, good. I got some choices. I can choose. I got one choice. There's no choice. I just got one. What is it? I'm going to follow by faith. And it's fascinating to me that even in difficulty, you know, we see the hand of God. We see the word of God. We see the work of God. So keep eternity in view. The last thing for a principle that you can put into practice today is get to know Jesus. 
the Savior of the world. You know the story, I'm sure. If not, you can read it even more today and even tomorrow. Um, we love reading the gospel story, the Christmas story with our children. Uh, Kim and I read it. It's just something that we've reviewed for over three decades. And it's always encouraging. It's always interesting to get to know the word, to understand things in a deep way. Get to know Jesus, the Savior of the world. When Jesus was born, the world was too busy for him. You remember that? There was no room at the end. And today, I know in my life this has been a challenge. Many who know his name have no room for him in their schedule. I don't want to be so busy that culture and tradition and preference and all these other things push out the main thing. The main thing. Getting to know him. Get to know him. You put your trust in him. When we put our faith in Christ, that is the Bible speaks. When we put our faith in him, we believe in him. We're saying, I put my trust in you for eternity, that I can't live in this temporal realm for eternal times. I know I will pass. At some point, your day will come. I know I will pass. And I'm putting my trust in you, God, for heaven. But to do that, I must recognize my sins. I must agree that I have sinned. Therefore, I would need a Savior. You would need a Savior. And in recognizing that, it's just quite basically agreeing with God. God, I agree that I am a sinner. I agree that you are the only way by which man can be saved. That you, Jesus, alone are the one who came as a child, miraculously born, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and then laid down that sinless life as a sin payment for sinful people, and then rose from the dead, conquering death and hell. I put my faith in that God, that Jesus. And doing that, the Bible speaks that you and I were born again, born of the Spirit. And in this new life, this born-again life, he then begins to teach us how to live, how to value things, how to, to literally do life, if you would. I want to have invite the worship team back up. But you and I, we're going to direct our attention to 2 Thessalonians. We'll just bring it up on projection. Verse 16. It's a habit, maybe, as I mentioned, to start our time. I have this habit of praying. It's a part where I kind of get my head straight, so to speak. But I also like to close this time together with worship and pondering and seeking his word. I like to close it with a particular portion, something that I sense that is God's way of saying this and hold on to this as well. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read this last verse, we'll pray, and then... uh, the worship team will lead us in two more songs of worship. We read in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you and every good word and work. God, we would just request that upon us. That that work, the truth of your word, would be taking place in our hearts and minds. And I pray, God, that you would teach each one of us. For those who have been of us that have been walking with you, that we'd be refreshed. That we would be renewed even in this time that we remember your beautiful work of the Christmas story. And for anyone online or here on site, If you're not sure, I just would encourage you in this simple prayer 
a prayer of your heart, a prayer of recognizing the gift of salvation that God offers. It would be a prayer that would really go in this way. God, I, I know I have sinned. I know I've done wrong. And, and I know I need to be forgiven. And so I would ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins, to forgive me for rebelling and doing things contrary to you. I believe that you, born in a manger, lived a sinless life, and then you, you freely give your life as a payment for me. You died for my sins. But you didn't stay in the grave. You rose from the dead. Rising from the dead, you showed yourself to be God. Conquering death and hell and offering life to me. I accept that life. And now, God, putting my faith in you, Jesus, I would ask you to show me how to live as the perfect father and now as a newborn child, born again. Oh, I need you. Lead me in the truth. Guard me from myself. Protect me from this world I'm in that I could live out the love you've given me in such a way that my light would shine, your light that's in me would shine among the people around me. To you be the glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing. Mm-hmm.